Is it time for a new heating and cooling system? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services and Carrier today and get 0% financing for 18 months on a new heating and cooling system. Get the comfort you deserve from Griffith Energy Services and Carrier. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today for this and other exclusive offers. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Now, I'm assuming that um, most, if not all of you know, that Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. And I think when you think about Audible.com, you think about audiobooks. And they for sure have a lot of audiobooks. But they also have a lot of other content that is worth exploring. So if you are not already... Um, subscribed to audible.com. Uh, you can get a free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. Over the years, uh, Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast has gained a lot of recognition as a great resource for small business owners, sales professionals, business leaders of all sorts. Uh, and that is because of the guests. These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business. And they are gracious enough to join me uh, to have a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. That way you can get the information you need. When you need it, you can come back and listen to it again later if necessary. And uh, you can do better things in your business. Today is no exception. My guest today is David Primer. David is a recognized sales thought leader and has been published in the Harvard Business Review, MIT Solon Management Review, I'm sorry, MIT Sloan Management Review, as well as Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Inc. magazines. David began this journey as an award-winning research scientist before leading top-performing sales teams at high-growth technology companies, earning him the title of sales professor. Today, David helps organizations drive business growth by infusing the principles of science, empathy, and execution into their sales operations. Thanks so much for joining me today, David. Oh, pleasure, Diane. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am uh, thrilled to have you here. Sales is one of my favorite subjects. Uh, and 
I, I, I want to, we are having this conversation in the middle of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so I, my first question for you is, what would you say people should be keeping in mind? Like, what are the most important things they should keep in mind when they're dealing with their clients during times of stress like this one? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, there's a few things. You know, number one, the thing I want to kind of share is that it, dealing with customers during this time is actually very important because they're going to remember more so than any other time, right, in their lives, like how you treated them. And we all, you know, remember the folks that, you know, helped us and picked us up when we had our own personal challenges, professional challenges, um, and how they behave during those times. So I just want to stress and underscore how important it is to, to try to get it as right as you can you know, during, the, <laughs> during these times, because they're going to remember. So that's kind of first and foremost. You know, the second thing is uh, just being able to acknowledge and empathize with what's going on right now. And you know, we're already you know, a number of weeks into the pandemic. And so uh, you know, at the very beginning, I feel like people were um, just kind of acting as though everything was kind of normal, but feeling strange about it. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, like, oh, you know, like, I don't know what I'm, this is all new for everyone. So what am I, you know, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to act differently? Okay, the show's got to go on. And then we started to pivot towards empathy and, and acknowledgement, which was good. But, you know, when we're dealing with our customers now, it can't be like, it can't, it's not like the weather. It's like, how about this pandemic? Hey, all right, well, like, let, have, can I sell you something now? Right? So we don't want to do that. You know, and I think that one of the best things, if I can, if I can talk about, this as a best thing is that we all have this kind of very shared experience going through this together, right? Yeah. So being able to acknowledge what's going on and saying, hey, you know, like here's, I'm sure you're going through some tough times. Here's what I've seen in your business or your industry. Um, here's what's going on with me in my business. I think that's always a great place to start before you start, you know, pitching or, or talking to them about how you might be able to help. I think that that is great. I, it's so interesting. I, I think about what's going on right now, and there's so many people who are thinking, um, I'm not reaching out because I don't know what to say. There's like a fear factor. And my thought is just ask them how they're doing. If you're, if you're concerned about how to even start a conversation, just be empathetic. Just ask them, you know, how's it going? What are you going through? What's going on? Because that way they can start talking about it, which they may not be doing a lot of if they don't want to alarm their family members or, you know, their team or, or whatever it is. Um, so it, it's that, this, this is one of the reasons why I'm so glad we're talking because it, it's that human side of it. Uh, while there's also a scientific side of it, that there's all of this, um, what people need in different situations at different times. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, I don't want to say this is funny, but um, one of the analogies I've been using lately, so I actually talk about this a little bit in my book, but so several years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer and mm. thankfully I'm, I'm good now. Um, but when you go through that whole experience, you know, one of the things, um, the worst part, as I talk about in the book is that you have to start telling people, you know, that's the worst part. Like, oh, you got to tell your family and friends. And everyone always asks you, like, are you okay? Especially if they haven't seen you in a while. Like, how are you doing? Are you okay? And, you know, a lot of times, like, 
it's really more of like a, a mental battle. I mean, certainly there's, there's you know, physical challenges, but a lot of it is mental. And, you know, the fact that people keep reaching out to you and saying, are you okay? Okay. It's kind of a reminder that like you're, you're going through this kind of crap time. And so, hmm. you know, the, the, the thing in retrospect now, I think about that experience is that um, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me, honestly, because it made me more grateful. It made me more grounded, more mindful. Um, and it, it, you're almost like better when you come out of it. And I was actually having this discussion with a CEO the other day where I said, it almost feels like that here where we're going through a lot of, of, of bad things. And certainly, um, you know, the, the bad things, thankfully for most of us, we're not experiencing, you know, the kind of the, the, the physical bad things that are yeah. going on now, but we're experiencing the job loss, the, the you know, the, the uncertainty, um, you know, uh, being quarantined and isolated, and, and that's all tough. And, you know, the CEO is saying, you know, but I believe that after this is all done, we're going to come out and we're all going to be better for it. And I actually couldn't agree more. I think there's all sorts of coping skills that we're learning now, um, especially as it relates to, not to unnecessarily bring this back to sales, but especially as it relates to sales, there's a, a, a topic I referred to in my book uh, of natural selection. And I think we're, you know, usually natural selection is like a, a, an evolutionary scientific term, but especially as it relates to how we deal with one another in a business context, a lot of the, the things that used to work you know, I'm just going to, in air quotes, used to work when it comes to sales and, and dealing with people. Um, people are finding that they no longer work in the modern era when customers have infinite choice of products and everyone does the same thing and, and, and we're busier and, and more distracted than ever before. But, you know, when you think about like, you know, well, how do you, how do you, um, uh, from a natural selection standpoint, like how do you connect with customers in this day and age where people are now even, we're in this shared sense of empathy, we're in this kind of you know, emotional turmoil, the tactics that used to work a month ago that were kind of borderline not working are absolutely not working now. <laughs> right. And so, and so through the process of this natural selection, people are now being forced to be more empathetic and yeah. to kind of develop these new coping skills, because if they don't, they're super stuck. And so there's this kind of evolutionary spike that we're seeing now, I feel like in business where we're all come out of this to, and now I'm going to bring it all back together. We'll all come out of this with kind of this, this natural selection, uh, you know, and, and the new skills having been developed. And I think we're all going to be better for it. That's so interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought about that, but that's sort of like a bell you can't unring. Like once we get there, we're not going to go back to old behaviors. That's right. Like we'll go back to certainly some old behaviors, you know, go, going out and, and oh, really yeah, there's that. Yeah. But, but yeah, but the tolerance, like for, for example, like unempathetic, you know, under, uh, like poor understanding, cold calling, you know, without any context, like those approaches, you yeah. know, now that be, people are becoming extremely desensitized to those even more so. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be tough. So actually I see this as a kind of a, a futurist and seeing the world of sales in a, in a better, more empathetic human light in the future, I definitely feel like this, this will help. You know, I hate to say, but yeah. this will help. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's so interesting. Okay, now when I read your bio, I read that you used to be a research scientist, uh, and, and then here you are, uh, the sales guru. Um, <laughs> And, and you've got this book. And so would you share with us 
if and what it is, overlap between being a good scientist and being a good salesperson? Because I, I got to believe there is, or you wouldn't have been able to navigate right. both of those so well. Well, there could be. There could be a relationship. I'm not saying that, you know, every, I don't think there's, and it's interesting, there, there's, there's, um, I, I've met definitely some, you know, some former scientists that are now in sales because because sales is one of these things like no one actually gets into sales on purpose. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to just make that blanket statement. And yet, because <laughs> we, we don't teach it in school, um, you know, we, we it, but and yet it's the number one profession in America. You know, one in eight, one in eight, one in nine Americans, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, are in sales. And so we all got here in an indirect way. And, uh, you know, I do believe, you know, from a scientist perspective, you know, scientists do make good salespeople. One of the reasons kind of why, you know, I fell into this journey is because as a scientist, one of the things that you're forced to do, it's in your very nature, is to question. So like, why did, why did that happen? Like, yeah. Why did this happen? Like, how does this work? And it becomes kind of like an engineer, like it becomes like everything becomes an engineering problem to figure out. And you're always looking for cause and effect. And so when I got into sales kind of by accident at the turn of the dot-com boom, so like 99, 2000, um, you know, that was, that was part of my journey. It was like, okay, so when I explained it like this, the customer got it. But when I explained it like that, the customer was confused. And when I, when I called them and I said these things, the customer hung up on me. But when I said it like this, like they really liked it. So, you know, I started to kind of through the process of trial and error, understand which tactics work, which didn't. But then being a scientist, I kind of had to go back to first principles and say, okay, hold on a second. Why did that work? Like, it's great to know that when I said it like this, it worked. But if all I do is I continue to repeat that tactic without really considering why, like what was the scientific principle behind why that tactic worked, then I'm really not going to be able to, to, um, to execute that tactic with A, conviction, and then B, I won't know how to change or moderate that tactic when times change. And that's actually one of the problems in the sales world is that, you know, times change very, very quickly, but the way we learn how to quote unquote sell is usually from the manager of the company that we worked for that taught us. And, um, and we don't often think about like, well, so why did that tactic work? So that's really for me, you know, why scientists make, make good salespeople is because they're forced to kind of question why things work or don't. Boy, that makes perfect sense to me. That, that's really interesting. And, and most salespeople never ask themselves, who are not scientists previously, <laughs> right. don't ask themselves those questions. They just blame the prospect, right? And, and never come around to it. Well, look, you know, sales is hard. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. There's no secret formula. Um, and much like, you know, baseball, where the best hitters are still missing, you know, 70% of the time. Yeah. Right. You know, like one, one of the things, um, you know, I, I talk often about is, you know, you're still dealing with people. So I could give the same, I could have the same conversation with 10 people, but one person had a fight with their spouse that morning and they're, you know, or their, their kid yelled at them and they're just in a, in a bad mood. And so it really doesn't matter. Like, you know, whatever I say, Yeah. but you know, lessons learned, I know we both have kids, you know, lessons and we learn so much from children there's actually, you know, like a, for example, a tactic that a lot of children will do. So for example, let's say you, uh, you have a bad report card and you got to show your parents and here you're like, you know, mom, you look beautiful today. Did I tell you that? <laughs> so I got this report card. Right. And, and you think like you laugh and you're like, oh, that's yeah, of course they're trying to butter you up. But like, that's actually scientifically proven to work. You know, like when you can put someone in a good mood, it colors 
their perception of all the other things. Like, so if you, let's say you're having a fantastic day, right? The, the, it's great weather. You just closed a deal. Your business is cranking, you know, uh, your relationships are great. Like everything just kind of seems great. Right. But when you're in a tough spot, like, you know, like what we're seeing now, right? Like we're in a tough spot, you know, uh, from a society perspective, it's still nice outside. The flowers are still blooming. You know, our kids are still running around. And yet for some people you'll walk around and you'll be like, ah, oh, you know, I just, I feel like there's this heavy weight, you know, yeah. resting on me because, you know, and so anyway, so that's, but that's the thing is that, um, you know, we have the ability when we execute tactics to kind of to, to dive deeper and understand like what are the, what's impacting, but you know, sales is, sales is hard because there are so many variables. For sure. And as you said, you're always dealing with people, which is the biggest variable of right. all, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And look, you know, you get customers, you know, sometimes I'll teach, um, you know, sales discovery with some, some clients and then I'll ask them to go away and I'll say like, Hey, look, record some of your conversations with your customers. I mean, a lot of, a lot of organizations record conversations anyway. So I'm like, okay, great. Let's look at their recordings, listen to them and, and see how people are reacting. And someone will say like, Oh, David, I just had to look, look how great I was on this discovery call. And we listen to the call and it's just them saying hello. And the customer completely opens up about their whole lives and their whole business. <laughs> They're like, look how awesome I am at sales. Like, you know what? You just got, like some people are just like that. They like yeah. to open up. And so, yeah. you know, and then some people don't like to say anything. <laughs> it's, you know, that's the fun part though. Way to go. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so, and you say you had an epiphany um, about selling when you were VP of Salesforce and saw what the sales team uh the tactics that they were using. And I, I would love to know what that epiphany was. Yeah. Well, look, so I love my time at Salesforce, you know, some of the best leaders, people, sellers, like if you love sales, then that's the company you want to work for. Cause it's like the super bowl of sales every month. But the epiphany I had was that as the, as a VP of sales, so I was running small business sales for the Eastern U S and, and it's great. You're serving small business customers. You know, I, I got to Salesforce by accident because they acquired my company. I was a, you know, I'm a startup guy. I've, I've done like four startups and all small businesses that have grown. And so they acquired my company. So all of a sudden I go from being the customer to like the, you know, being on the flip side and being a VP at Salesforce is great. But one of the things is you become the target of lots of other people's sales teams because a lot of other people want to sell you stuff. So, you know, <laughs> you know as you can imagine, so... I have, you know, these enthusiastic team of sales reps across multiple cities and it's like the end of the month, end of quarter, and we're all hustling and there's a bunch of plays that we're running. You know, we do account reviews and like call down on the customers and call blitzes and, and just, you know, a whole lot of gusto and all that kind of stuff is great. And none of the tactics that we were using were unethical. They were not categorically ineffective, but then what would happen was I would go back to my desk and my phone would ring off the hook because people are trying to sell me stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would get LinkedIn invites and all these kinds of things. And I was like the impenetrable fortress. You know, I never answered my, never answered my <laughs> phone unless it was an internal number that I could see. And, um, you know, never, never responded to kind of these sleazy LinkedIn requests because I realized that like, I don't like talking to salespeople. Right. And this is actually kind of the, so that's uh -huh. part of, that's part of the epiphany is that like, <sighs> if you ask people, do you like talking to salespeople, even people in sales? Yeah. Most of them, unless there's a degree of professional curiosity, like I want to see what they do because I, you know, I want to compare it to what I do. We don't like talking to salespeople. So 
the epiphany that I had was that A, I don't like talking to salespeople, even though I love sales. And B, um, a lot of these tactics that people were, were using um, on me just weren't working. And yet, a lot of those similar tactics, you know, hustle and do account reviews and all these kinds of things were the things that my team was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the epiphany. That is so great. That is incredible. And so what did you do with it? <laughs> well, you know, so actually I started, I started um, doing a lot of writing because I was like, okay, hold on a second. So the, my teams are, are doing okay. They're hitting numbers and all this kind of stuff. And yet I'm, I'm going back to my desk and all these things aren't working on me. So I started kind of exploring some of these things. And that's actually when I started writing, you know, several years ago when I was at Salesforce and started like talking about, okay, here's what my teams are doing and here's what's working. Here's what's not. And here's why. And I, I started to actually try to train my teams um, using the principles that form the underpinning of my business now where I train other customers, but try to train my teams in these kind of, you know, tactical, scientifically proven, empathetic, mindful concepts to kind of, you know, make them slightly better adjusted. Um, so that's kind of how it started. But, you know, it's, what's interesting when we talk about, you know, I have this concept I call unconscious selling, um, which is kind of what I referred to before, which is, you know, using tactics without knowing why they work is what I, mm -hmm. what I refer to as unconscious selling. And the problem is, you know, we, there's a lot of actually very good unconscious sellers in the world. If you've ever met a wonderful hairstylist or a personal trainer, right, who just loves what they do yeah. and is very good at converting people and moving people, but, you know, they don't have any formal sales training. They're doing all these great things. They don't know why it's working, but they're, but they're working. And then you have unconsciously bad salespeople. And these are salespeople who are not bad people. I, you know, I actually, I do believe that bad salespeople, which there are many, are not bad people. They have families that love them and they, you know, they play sports and go to picnics and like normal, you know, like, <laughs> so they're not bad people. But what they're doing is they're just going out and they're following orders. Someone told them, make all these calls yes. and say these things. Yes. Right? right. And they're unconsciously bad. And the yeah. problem with unconsciously bad people is that not only are they ineffective in their roles, but, and this is the worst part, they ruin it for the good ones. Right. So now when yeah. you tell someone you're in sales, they think you're the enemy. Because, yeah. Because right. Yeah. And so is this why salespeople have such a bad reputation? Yes. Well, there's, there's a lot of reasons why that's one, right. Cause these people still exist. But number two, you know, one of the things I think about is like when you, if I were to, we're going to do this experiment, Diane. Okay. So let's say if you closed your eyes and I said, I want you to just picture the worst salesperson you could ever picture. We'll, we'll see if this works with you. The worst salesperson, like meaning like, what is their job? Like, what are they actually selling? Like, what, what do you picture in your head? You think about the worst, sleaziest, horrible salesperson. Who do you picture? Used car salesman. There you go. Without fail. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without fail. It's always the used car salesman. And, and this is unrehearsed, just so everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, the question is, well, why do you picture that person? Like, certainly people buy used cars now, and there's used car salesmen now. But nowadays, if you want to go buy a used car, you go and there's all these reports. And there you get the VIN number, and you can see if it's been an accident. And it's actually much harder to obfuscate the details of that car versus in the olden days, quote unquote, when you're thinking about buying a used car, you go onto the lot and you look at this car and you don't know if the car is a piece of crap or it's great in great shape because it looks nice and it's shiny. 
And so what Dan Pink talks about in his book, To Sell as Human, he talks about this as the concept of, um, of uh, information asymmetry, meaning in the old days, that salesperson knew a lot about what they were selling and you knew very little. And so you had to trust them. And if the trust was broken, there was no recourse, right? And so people still think about that selling interaction nowadays, right? Even though, for example, you wanna go on a vacation now, you go on TripAdvisor, you go on, like you wanna buy anything, there's Amazon reviews. So it's actually the role of the seller has, has changed because of this availability of information. And yet you still picture a used car salesman, which doesn't <laughs> exist in that same way anymore because nowadays people have information. But so the, the take home message here is like these old habits die hard and it will take many months and years to change the perception of modern sellers, which can happen, but we, but if we, but we got to clean up our act. We got to start acting with more scientifically proven empathetic principles. And then over time people will forget, right? But they still remember now. How much time? <laughs> <laughs> What's the date today? <laughs> okay. It's a Thursday. So by next, no, yeah. no, look at it like anything else. Like in fact, I mean, look, there's very few professions where you tell someone you do it. Like you tell someone you're an emergency room doctor and it's like, oh, amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You tell someone you're in sales and they're like, oh, it does not make you popular at family reunions. So no, it does not. Right. right? So right. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll take time. But, it, you know, it'll take time after we kind of all pull together in the same direction. Yes. Right. Exactly. And adopt these principles. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then um, we will continue the conversation. Sounds good. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by audible.com. Uh, they have thousands of audiobook titles to choose from, but what you may not know is they also have podcasts, Audible originals, guided meditations, and more. It's, it's like, uh, if you can listen to it, audible.com's probably got it. Uh, I can tell you that right now the Guided meditations are working pretty well for me. It uh, makes it very easy for me to uh, bring that vibration down. Uh, so um, you should explore it if you haven't already. And in order to do so, we are offering a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash business growth, get that free trial and explore the variety of audiobooks and programs and see what uh, resonates with you. Today, we're speaking with David Primer about using science and empathy to accelerate sales. Okay, so now I wanna talk about, um, I guess, more tactical things. that You write about uh, that there are tricks our minds play on us when it comes to how we buy. And I'm wondering if you would share a few examples of what those tricks are. For sure. Well, look, there's all sorts of cognitive biases that that impact our decision making. You know, as as people, you know, in order to survive, we need to, you know, our, our minds need to desensitize us for from certain things and help us, you know, understand that we make decisions for a reason, even if those reasons aren't clear to us. So let's say, for example, here's a you know, people are often familiar with like post-purchase rationalization, where let's say you went to Costco. I'm a big Costco guy with the kids, and you go to Costco and you come home with something that you didn't need, you know, <laughs> it was there and you're like, oh, like it comes in a 24 pack or, you know, look pretty cool. 
and you come home and you say to yourself, you know what, it's, I'm glad I bought this because I actually, I, I didn't realize, but I needed this thing, right? And it's going to help me. And it was just in my size and they only had two left and it was on sale for 80% off. And it's basically the act of your brain, you know, trying to, uh, you know, comfort your ego, basically saying, no, you didn't, you didn't make a, you know, you made the right decision here, Diane, like this makes total sense, right? <laughs> um, like, like, so for example, the, the example I give in the book, as I say, let's say you wanted to go to uh, Paris, right? For your summer vacation, you had to save up a whole bunch of money to go to Paris. And when you were budgeting for the trip, you knew that you could spend $800 on a plane ticket. And, you know, at the time when you booked your travel, there was actually a $3,000 ticket in first class to Paris, but, you know, that was way beyond your budget. And so you kind of put it aside and, you, and here, here you go. So now you're, you're planning your trip to Paris and it's just a few days away. You get an email from the airline that says, Diane, great news. We actually have a few seats left in our first class cabin. And now that $3,000 ticket is no longer $3,000. It's, let's say, $1,200. So for $400 more, you can now go first class, right? Yeah. What do you do, <laughs> Diane? You didn't budget this $400. Yeah. What do you do? I probably go first class. <laughs> you go first class, okay? So you don't have this $400. So no. what do you, where are you going to get this for? What are you going to do? Like, how are you going to get this $400? I don't know. You don't Take know. Take it from something else. Well, there you go. So. Ah. So for example, you might say, you know what, I had, I had planned to go for all these fancy meals while I was in Paris, but I think I'll just go eat you know, fast food and spend the money on the plane ticket instead. Or you know what, I'm going to go on my trip to Paris. When I get back for the next few months, I'm, I'm going to just you know, cook at home and I'm not going to go out to eat when I get back to, you know, to the States, right? So you're, what your brain is doing is you're tell, it's telling you all of these like, little stories, right? About like, here's how we're going to get through this, right? And make and make this decision, and even you know it even happens on a very micro level. Well, so let's say here's an example. If I were to ask you, okay, to uh, to write down everything that you ordered for lunch over the last month, okay. Now I'm going to take that list and I'm going to give that list to your doctor, and I'm going to say, doctor, like how often would you say that Diane made the best lunchtime, maybe you're super healthy, I don't know, but made, <laughs> made the best lunchtime decisions for her, best as defined as, you know, best calorically, food groups, nutrition. How often did Diane order the best thing for her? How often would you say, Diane? I can tell you, actually, oddly enough, it was... So you cut out for a bit there, how much was it? Maybe 10%. 10%, okay, good. So. So it's not, I mean, look, and even for some really healthy people, they might say 60%, 70%, but 10%, right? Now, mm -hmm. if I were to ask you, does that mean that 90% of the time when you ordered lunch every day or you made lunch every day, you were super angry with yourself and upset? You were walking around saying, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. What a, I ordered the completely wrong thing again. Is that what was happening? <laughs> no. No, right? I'm sure that you were probably pretty happy or at least you know even keel with what you ordered even though it wasn't the best thing for you right and so this is like this idea of this proof point of like we don't actually make the best scientifically you know audited decisions for us we do things that align with our emotional state you ate what you ate because you felt like eating it 
you know, you get home from a long day at work and you say, you know what I deserve? I deserve all of these things that are actually probably not good for you. Right. And, and you're not, you're not unhappy with them. So this idea of like, how do we actually make purchasing decisions is made based on feelings later justified by logic and reason. But this is how our brain works to kind of keep us, keep us uh, sane and moving forward. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. Um, okay. Is there, uh, how do I want to ask you this question? So, so we're just, it's that just sounds to me like we just justify it later. Um, if it wasn't, we convince ourselves that it was a good decision, even if intellectually speaking, we know it wasn't. Well, yeah, or even in the moment. So that, that's, you know, called post-purchase rational, rationalization. But there's also, there are all sorts of other cognitive biases, like status quo bias, you know. So for example, you know, we tend to overestimate the value of whatever we have versus something that's new. So if you were to go to your closet and take a look at things in your closet and you ask yourself, is there something here that I should probably get rid of because I don't use or wear it anymore? The answer is probably yes, and yet you hang on to it, right, for no good reason. You wouldn't right. pay wouldn't pay to buy that that thing brand new today but you have it right so we there's post-purchase rationalization there's there's that um status quo bias there is a confirmation bias which is you know as a salesperson oftentimes we go into calls with our customers thinking that you know they're a great fit for us they're going to buy something they're for sure going to buy something why why wouldn't they like they're they're a great fit for what we do and so we go into the call like if you've ever been let's say I'm going to use a sleazy cars, car, car salesman analogy now, but right. like if you go into a car dealership and now you're like sitting in the car and the salesperson comes over and it's like, oh, Diane looks great on you. Like when, when should we wrap this up? Yeah. Right? <laughs> like that's called confirmation bias where they're kind of imposing their will on you and they think that, you know, for sure Diane's going to buy something, right? Versus giving you the freedom to make your own choice. So these are all things that both on the buying and selling side impact the way we, we, uh, we interact. Ah, okay. And so I would think that as salespeople, we need to be aware of those things, but we need to be careful with those things. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's one of those things we get very excited uh, about what we do, and especially our commission checks and so on uh, motivate us to behave in certain ways, fortunately or unfortunately. But when customers feel any undue pressure oftentimes they recoil and resist. And, and even if, for example, you go to the mall, and let's say you're in like a clothing store and you're kind of thumbing through some merchandise and a salesperson makes a beeline for you, walks over and says, excuse me, ma'am, is there anything I can help you find here? What do you say? No, just you looking. Say, just looking, <laughs> right? Because yeah. what happens, if you say, well, actually, yes, which may in fact be the case, maybe you are looking for something. Right. What, what happens is you're basically saying, you're letting that salesperson do whatever they want to you, right? You're like, oh, I am looking for something. And the salesperson is licking their chops and saying, oh, okay, great, right? Here, I'm gonna sell Diane something now. And there's actually a, a, a scientific principle known as reactance, which basically makes people resistant to having their freedom to choose being restricted. So it, it, it's everything from a salesperson coming up and putting that under pressure on you in a sales cycle, in the store. Even, you know, for example, if you walk by a wall and the wall had a sign that said wet paint on it. And, the, and maybe you walk by and it's kind of, it looks a little shiny. You see the sign says wet paint. What do you want to do to that wall? Touch it. You want to touch the wall, <laughs> right? Because the sign told me I couldn't do it. Right. Right. 
And so we automatically resist, especially if we feel a salesperson's coming on too strong, yeah. we, we push back beyond where we might otherwise push back because we feel the person is putting undue pressure on us. And so absolutely, these biases not only impact buyers and how we you know, make purchasing decisions, but also salespeople. Wow, this is fascinating. <laughs> well, look, hopefully you had, like this is, you know, this is why I love sales so much is that it's so nuanced and there's yeah. actually so much science and, and all these things that we're talking about, these things are things that you may not have ever thought about before, right? Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. For absolutely. It, it's, it's interesting for me because, you know, I, I, I work in the same space and I, but I look at it differently. Um, like I, I didn't realize this, these were the things that were going on um, in, in our heads, you know, that this are our just emotions, our reactions to things. That's right. Well, look, that's why. So my book is called Sell the Way You Buy. And so people laugh and they ask me all the time, like, so why is it called Sell the Way You Buy? And I, and, and I say, look, there's, there's two reasons why. There's an empathetic component, which is just like, don't do stuff that wouldn't work on you. You know, if you were on the buying side, like don't, don't, don't treat people yeah, the way you would right. want to be treated. But then there's also like a very strong subconscious scientific component, which is like, we don't often even understand the way we buy. So sell the way you buy means dive down and understand the way you make purchasing decisions so that when you go out and you sell to people, you can align your sales motion with those scientifically proven approaches to the way people buy. Got it. Now, um, oh, I had a question for you. Shoot. Okay, it'll come back to me. Yeah, take your time. Uh, oh, I know what it was. And, and it, it falls into this, then therefore, how should salespeople behave? And you say, um, we should be selling problems, not solutions. And I'm really curious what you mean by that. Yeah. So you think about it, like as a buyer, as a buyer, like you're not walking around all of the time thinking about solutions that you could buy. Oh, I could buy this or I could buy that. Because especially in the kind of the modern era, you don't know what all of the possible solutions are out there. And so, you know, when we think from a sales perspective about selling our products and services, sometimes we bias towards Solutions like, did you know that we have more RAM and more ROM and we're made of aluminum and we have organic oh. ingredients in our cupcakes? Like, we're selling solutions, but our buyers are not walking around saying, you know what? I wish someone had some delicious organic cupcakes, or I wish someone had a you know a little doohickey I could put on the side of my car. Like, people aren't thinking about that. What they are thinking about, or what they might be subconsciously thinking about, are the problems and challenges they have. So, for example, for me. As a, as a small business owner, let's say, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners as well, I'm willing to bet that a lot of your small business owners or, or, or listeners are probably doing things in their business that they wish they could outsource to someone else. You know, they're like, look, sure. my, my small business, I don't know why I'm billing my clients. Like, to be honest, it's a pain in the, I got to do the bookkeeping. I got to do the taxes. Like I'm doing all these administrative things, which is not what my business is built around. You know, I, you know, I fix cars or I do whatever it is. Like, so why am I spending time on these things? And so if I wanted to sell a solution, right, to those small business owners, I would not lead with, we are an administrative service that, uh, that does A, B, and C, mm. that, you know, 
what instead I would lead with the problem, which is, you know, do you ever wonder why you're spending time on all of these low value things in your business? Right? Like that is a message that would resonate, you know, more so with that, that audience. Like if someone came to me and said, David, you know, if you're like, I don't know if this is like you, a lot of small business owners I work with find themselves spending way too much time on things in their business that they realize had no value. And, and I would be like, yes, yes. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Right. That's me. Now you don't even know what the product is that is being sold. Right. right. But we are so attuned emotionally to our problems and challenges that if you can lead with the problem or challenge or the enemy, it will get the customer to lean in and say, well, that's really interesting. Can you tell me more about what you do? Right. That makes perfect sense to me. Uh, that is great. Okay. Thank you for that. That, that is, <laughs> I mean, well, you know, because we are told time to, you know, you have to be a solution provider. You have to be a problem solver. And you're right. When, when we lead with, here's what's great and wonderful. Uh, we, we are not connecting to the person we're talking to. First, we need to connect to the actual, if they're having that problem, the problem they're having. That's right. Well, look, if we agree that people buy emotionally first, right? Like we've already established with the lunches and the trip to Paris that mm -hmm. you're making emotional decisions, then, you know, you need to lead with a, like an emotional sales motion. That's what people are buying first and foremost. And in right. fact, the, the data shows that when, like, let's say, for example, you are, uh, you're looking at a commercial on TV. You ever see these commercials on TV for like pharmaceuticals and the narrator is saying the most horrible things that can happen to you, right? Yes. Like, because they have to by law. Right. And, and, and let's say like it's some kind of like arthritis medication or osteoporosis, and they're telling you all these horrible, you could die, people have internal bleeding. And what, and what are you looking at? You know, the, it's the grandparents and the, the grandkids are coming over and we're gardening and it's a beautiful sunny day, right? And yeah. so while they have to do these things emotional, like they have to do these like things like legally, they have to tell you all the bad things. What they're presenting is like a view, a vision of your future self. And if you're suffering with, for example, the condition that they're trying to solve and all of these kind of future pictures that they're showing you are these idyllic, you know, future pictures where you're like, oh yeah, like that's, that's the place I want to get to. Then you're going to ignore all of the kind of the negative things and buy in because they're showing you this vision. And when they market to people in those ways, emotional marketing conversion rates increase. And yet, for whatever reason, in the, in the business world, and I say, you know, like B2B, um, you know, we, we don't sell that way, right? And, and it's, it's time we should. Yeah, right, exactly. So then talk to me about handling objections. Sure, well, what would you like to know? I'd like to know how to <laughs> handle them. <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time to hand. Right? Uh, I know, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell so I'll give you like here's the here's the one, I guess, one piece of advice if we're starting. And by the way, for all your listeners, and we'll and we'll, we'll I know we'll talk about this. Like I give away a ton of content uh, for free on my website. You don't have to register or anything, you just go to the website and so and my YouTube channel I have tons of content on objection handling. But you know, one of the, the biggest things in objection handling is uh is this idea of just what i call in clarifying the intent so when you're in sales oftentimes a objection that you will hear is the same it's too expensive 
costs, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, oh, I, yeah, it's just, it's too, I would love to do this, it's too expensive. But like, think about all of the different permutations of what it's too expensive could mean, right? Is it's too expensive, like for your budget, for what you're getting, for the time, because my buddy works for a competitive company and I'm just gonna buy their product no matter what you say. Right. You know, um, I don't like you personally, and so I'm just going to tell you it's too expensive so that you go away. So the question is really like, well, what does it mean when someone says too expensive? Or what does it mean when they say any objection? Like you, the, the take home message here is that a lot of salespeople, they will immediately, they think that objections are one hit crushes yeah. where a customer says, oh, it, this. And they're like, okay, well, then I say that. And then the objection goes away, which is not the case. Like objections are conversations. And they're windows into what our customers are thinking, but oftentimes I call it the objection handling iceberg. Whatever they say is not the sum total of what they're thinking. Ah, well, I like that. Right? That's so, a great visual. Yeah, so you, the key is the first thing is when someone launches an objection is to really explore the objection so that you make sure that you're actually handling the right one. And, and the data shows that oftentimes salespeople, when they get an objection, the top salespeople will respond with a question more so than the kind of even average salespeople, which launch into the, what's known as the objection handling monologue, where we, we do our best to, you know, quote unquote, handle it, right? Without, without diving in. Like even when you asked me, you said, so hey, talk to me about objection handling. Yeah. I could have just dove into something. Right. But, but in, you know, but instead I said, so what would you like to know? Yeah. Right? <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the first thing. And then certainly there's lots of tactics that, you know, we can use to handle objections. Um, but yeah, the first thing is understanding, well, what, what, what's the root, what's the root cause? So I can, yeah. What, what really is the objection? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. That, that is great. Um, okay. So you also say that the experience is the product and I would like to know, uh, what that means in terms of winning over clients or customers. Yeah. Well, look, I, you know, nowadays, like I, I, I speak about this all the time. The experience is the product. Like you could, for example, buy the exact same product, lots of places, you know, I can buy an iPad at Best Buy, or I could just, I could go to the Apple store or I could order it online or I could order it off Amazon and, you know, and it's the same product, but I'll have different experiences, you know, depending on where I go. Or, you know, let's say, for example, I already have that product. I, let's say I bought the iPad. And now I had a great experience at the Apple store, but now I need support. Something's wrong with it, right? If I call up that 1-800 number for support, what is that experience going to be like? Is it frictionless? Is it easy? Is it, you know, do I get to speak to a person right away? Or do I have to go through like a whole IVR system to, you know, to finally not solve my problem? And so while we do all buy products, experiences are super important because at the end of the day, it comes back down to feelings. Experiences are feelings. And so when I order something off Amazon and, it, you know, it's, and I see all these reviews and it shows up at my door the next day with a super frictionless return policy or practice, like I have this amazing experience and that experience transcends the thing that I ordered. And so that's what I mean is that you know, today, people are buying those experiences even more so than they're buying products because the products can often be bought in more than one place. So that's why selling with experience, creating that great experience in the sales process, especially is so important. It really is uh, the way to differentiate because you're right. It, 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 the same stuff is available everywhere. Yeah. So, and the consumer gets to decide 
because they have so much information at their fingertips now that, as you said earlier, you know, di did not used to be the case, which is mm -hmm. a terrible sentence, but, <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, now, now, speaking of experience, uh, do you have an example, like a personal example of a great customer experience and what made it so great? Oh, I do. And in Ooh. fact, I, um, I talk about this in the book, uh, the, uh, the, 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 in the kind of the subheading or the subchapter is called um, trouble at the happiest place on earth. And so I'm in Disney world with my kids and we are in line to watch the parade. You know, they have these wonderful parades at Disney world mm -hmm. and my kids like their, their brains are melting. It's like, this is the most, you know, amazing experience they could have ever had in their lives and they're going nuts and we're running around to like all of these you know attractions and so on and we decide we're going to get in line for this uh, parade and so the parade kind of runs just after lunch so we said hey you know what let's just skip lunch for a second let's go to the parade we'll kind of camp out along the parade route and, and get a good seat so we're there and you know my kids are kind of melting down a little bit because they're all like hyper and they didn't have lunch so my wife says, you know, who wants daddy to go get ice cream? So everyone's excited, right? So I go, <laughs> I, I fight the crowds to get ice cream. I'm like waiting in line. I get the ice cream. And, I'm, and again, like this wasn't a super time consuming process, but just mentally arduous because you're like, again, the crowds are building. The parade's just about to start. And I feel like the whole happiness of my kid's vacation is like tied up in this, you know, <laughs> this ice cream experience. So I'm like fighting my way back. And I eventually, so I get back just as the parade starts. I'm like, I'm like the superhero, right? My kids couldn't be happier. And one of my daughters starts, you know, licking the ice cream cone and like two licks and the, and like the ice cream ball itself, like starts to fall off the oh. cone <laughs> and, and it's like slow motion, right? Like it, and it, yeah. like it, it falls on the floor and she like erupts oh, in crying. God. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get like another ice cream cone now, like the whole parade. So I can't even get to the place. So two seconds after that ice cream hits the ground, a Disney employee walks over to us and says, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I saw what happened here with the ice cream. Can I, can I get your daughter a new ice cream cone? <gasps> I'm like, I'm like, you do that? And they're like, oh yeah, sir. No, it ha it's not a big deal. We, we do it all the time. I'm like, amazing, right? And so, wow, who does that? It's like, yeah, I don't know. Who's sitting on the sidelines, like looking to see if people are <laughs> dropping their and, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Disney fan. Not, you know, not because of the content per se, but like the experience they create. And yeah. I've given a lot of money to Disney over the years for vacations and, and all sorts of stuff. I've been on the cruises and then we've been to the parks and they do an outstanding job of just creating that experience because they know that if my daughter starts crying at Disney World because she dropped her ice cream, it's gonna color the whole day and the whole vacation, right? And, and they have the opportunity to deliver this incredible experience of moments of delight that you would have never thought that I remember to this day and wrote about in my book, right? To, wow. that, to that point, right? So, you know, I, I say like Disney plays special attention to the experience, but there's lots of companies that do, do a great job and they don't have to be luxury brands like you could be like a southwest airlines and certainly you know like the the porsches of the world but even you know even things like the new netflix or zappos people with great customer you know service uh, uh programs and so on can do a great job of this but yeah the experience that's that still sticks out in my mind is uh as one of the top ones for sure it is interesting 
do you think people remember good experiences, good customer experiences more than bad, or is it the other way around? I think it's, I think it's both. You know, I okay. think when, you know, when you think about like, for, so for example, I bought a dishwasher years ago, and then I get a survey request over email from KitchenAid. Like, we, David, we want to know what you thought about the dishwasher. I'm like, I don't know. It's like a dish. It washes the dishes. What am I, you know, but the reality is like when, when people ask you for that survey feedback, I'm either going to respond because my experience was polarizing. I either had the worst experience in the world mm -hmm. with this thing. And I'm going to, I want to take a chunk out of you with my feedback or somehow this thing changed my life. And I want to give you this feedback. So whenever there's kind of an emotional reaction that you have to a product or service, that's kind of when, that's the thing that people remember most, which is actually why now, as people are kind of going through the, the challenges of the pandemic, they're, they're very attuned, right, to these emotional experiences. Yes. Like, you can remember when you were going through, God forbid, your cancer diagnosis, or, or you remember the birth of your children with vivid clarity, because when emotions are high, it's like life is pressing the record button and it's, it's kind of keeping track of all of your emotional reactions during that time. And it's interesting that you say that because I was in a meeting yesterday morning, you know, a virtual one, and, and a couple people were talking about experiences they were having with current vendors and the difference between the ones that were uh, being empathetic and trying with their clients and the ones that weren't. And it was a stark, difference and and what they were saying is i might not be able to do something about it right now but believe me in the future i will mm -hmm. and yeah. and wow i mean because now when people need empathy more than normal they're they're very um in tune to the companies that are rising to the occasion and mm -hmm. and the ones that aren't for sure. And, it, and it's kind of like, there's definitely like people who are leading the charge nowadays and then others who are, you know, who are kind of following suit. Like, so for example, I fly a lot. I mean, I did in the old, you know, yeah, before. when you could, yeah, yeah. In the old days I used to fly a lot. And so, you know, I have status with my, with my home airline. And so now all of the airlines are saying, look, we know that you're not going to, like, I'm not enjoying my status this year. I'm not flying. Um, and they know that no one's flying. And so what they've done is they've extended your status. They're saying, we'll, we'll take your status and you don't even have to earn it again this year. We'll extend it to you know, 2021. You can enjoy it throughout the entire year. And so a lot of airlines are now doing that. You know, when you get to be the first one, you get that moment of delight where it's like, oh my gosh, no one's doing that. This is yeah. amazing. And now everyone's following the suit. So as long as you're kind of in that first wave, I think you're, you'll get like the, the reaction that you're hoping for. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I, I think that the organizations now that kind of step up and help us in their time of need, which by the way, I think a lot of them are like, honestly, I do too. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Well, you know, we're all in this together. For sure. Well, like, that's why I think this is the, a rare moment in modern history where we're all like all over the world experiencing right. this together. And I'm actually curious to to see, not that I haven't talked about this with anyone, but I'm curious to kind of hear in the future all of the interesting statistics that will come out of things that happened during this time. For example, did crime decrease? Did like, did war decrease? Like what changed during this time Yeah. as we were all focused on doing these other things? Like, I think that stuff will be super interesting. One thing I heard was that, um, I heard a, a 
doctors saying that trauma, regular trauma that they would normally get in the in the ER is down because people aren't driving. Yeah. You know, that they're not pu get putting themselves in situations where these sorts of things could happen. So yeah, I agree with you. That makes sense. Yeah. Crazy times. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, David, thank you so much for this. This was just fascinating. Will you um, let the listeners know uh, where they can get the book and how they can get a hold of you? Yeah. So the book itself is called Sell the Way You Buy. That's the, there's a subtitle, but the book is called Sell the Way You Buy and it's wherever you buy books. If it's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indigo, um, you know, it should actually be in the stores as well, but online is probably the easiest. And then the website is, is so you could just look that up anywhere. And then the website is called cerebralselling.com. And I have information about the book, um, links to my YouTube channel, which is also Cerebral Selling, but that the website will have everything you need, tons of content um, on everything related to everything we spoke about today, modern selling. But the book, super grateful about the book as well. The book's already been a bestseller. It sold thousands of copies. Um, so highly encourage everyone to, uh, to pick it up and uh, let me know what you think once you do. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's just, it's so great. Thank you. And congratulations on um, all of that success. And listeners, thank you. I think this was a great episode for you to listen to uh, probably more than once. And go get the book because then you'll really uh, be able to have the information in front of you at all times. Uh, and I would like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Uh, go get yourself a free trial by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and check out the audiobooks, but check out the other stuff as well. You know, the audio, um, Audible originals and news and uh, podcasts and whatnot and enjoy the content. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the Hydration Watermelon Smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks, Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Pip -pip -pip Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.